0: Welcome to the Modern Independent, where we are on a mission to assist modern independent workers in accelerating their growth, both personally and professionally. Every year, our parent community, Indie Collective, offers two 10-week accelerator programs known as the Launchpad. In these programs, cohorts of around 80 independent consultants and coaches, just like you, gain access to an expert-led curriculum, then work together to set bigger visions and goals for their business and lives. If you're interested in learning more about our 10-week Launchpad cohorts, go to www.indiecollective.co where you can learn about the program, hear members speak about their experiences, and apply for the next cohort. We accept applications on a rolling basis, and as a podcast listener, you'll receive priority when applying for an interview, as well as a limited-time $500 friends and family discount. Just reference the podcast in your application. And now, on to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Modern Independent. I am your co-host, Jan Almacy. The other host is Mr. Sam Lee. And today you are listening to another episode of The Launchpad, where we talk with other peers that have gone through the Indie Collective cohort, experienced phenomenal growth, um, and come out the other side with a couple of tips, tricks, and methods that you guys can use to accomplish the same types of results that they have accomplished, along with their journeys leading them up to finding the cohort and all of the lessons that they've learned since graduating from the course. So what I like to do when I'm introducing guests on uh, this segment is really go to their personal LinkedIn's or their website landing pages and pull directly from their about me's because I think that it gives a little bit of a clue into the types of personalities uh, that we have on this show. So today, I am going to be introducing our guest, Miss Leandra Peters. And uh, this is her about me from her website, Female in Finance. So it goes, I am Leandra, founder of Female in Finance. I'm from San Diego, California, which means that I don't own a jacket. You may have found me on Instagram or maybe... I'm your finance coach, or maybe you saw me surfing and asked for my number, but I gave you my website instead. The hustle never sleeps. I founded Female in Finance in 2020 because I noticed that people were being crushed from the global pandemic and, in a lot of ways, realized that they needed help for the first time. So, I created this platform to help people level up their personal finance game, crush their debt, build a side hustle, and invest in the stock market. Now, I don't know about you, but... I definitely experienced a lot of those types of questions over the course of the pandemic, and I am super amped to have a conversation around this topic and understand a little bit more about Leandra's journey. So, Leandra, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Jan. I'm excited to be here.
0: What did you think of that uh, that improv read of your? That uh, was your...
1: great. I mean, you definitely sound like a radio host. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Good, good. I've been working on it. You know what I mean? Like we've had so many of these episodes come out. I'm like starting to get into a rhythm finally.
1: I love it. It's rocking
0: and rolling. So why don't we just start with, you know, as we're uh, trying to introduce you to our listeners here um, at The Modern Independent, uh, we could just kind of start with um, you know, where you were uh, born and raised.
1: Yeah. So I was born and raised in San Diego, California. I am still in San Diego, California to this day. It's very hard to leave where people vacation.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we were talking earlier before the mics turned on um, that currently in Ohio where I'm at, it is February 11th today, I believe. Yeah, 11th, it is like 28 degrees. And uh, Leandra, what is the uh, temperature in San Diego today?
1: It is a warm 80 degrees today. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, uh, so I was a little bit salty uh, <laughs> when we were talking <laughs> when we were exchanging the weather. But so outside of you know, San Diego is where where you were born and raised, and and where your family. Um, you know, where where you started uh, kind of your life. But but prior to that, um, as far as your background and your ethnicity and and all of that kind of goes, we, we, you have a kind of a unique situation in, in that realm, right?
1: Um, Yeah. So my mom, I, I was raised by a single immigrant mom. My mom is from Israel and my dad is from the U.S., but he left when I was three. So I was just raised by my mom. And I'm glad that I was raised by such a powerhouse woman, but that's Kind of my background in the short is just that I was raised by an immigrant mother.
0: And came do so you still have the majority of your family lives in Israel? Um, yeah, Or your mother's relatives?
1: Basically, all of my family is in Israel, except for my mom and my brother here in San Diego. And then I have a couple mm-hmm. of cousins up in Northern California. But besides that, like everyone is not here.
0: Right. Have you ever been back?
1: Oh, yeah. Many times. Yeah. I mean, I was there all when I was younger and then um I used to go back every single year and I haven't been in a couple of years, but that's mostly just due to COVID, but I'll probably be back there maybe next year.
0: That's awesome. That's cool. I mean, I have, you know, kind of a similar background with my mom immigrating from Slovakia and the majority of her family <coughs> excuse me, still lives um in Zdoba is the is the name of the of the village that they live in, but um, you know, also because of COVID, I haven't gotten the chance to go back, I think, since 2019, um, but used to go there all the time. I actually went to school there, fun fact, um, for a semester oh in wow. fifth grade.
1: Oh, so yeah. it wasn't like a study abroad in college. It was when you were young.
0: No, I was, yeah, so I, we were homeschooled. And so what we ended up working out is like my mom talked to the state. Um, we did the majority of our curriculum and got it knocked out. I just kind of tested ahead and, you know, basically tested out of fifth grade.
1: Gotcha. And then was able
0: to go and spend a semester in school um living with my grandparents, so it like really helped me like learn the language and build an appreciation for the culture and how to navigate it and stuff. um you know, I was really young, but I think still just like you can't really replace that immersiveness
1: of course um, no, in can't. the culture absolutely yeah, yeah in israel it's a uh, it's very loud, very different than being here like every time I go there i'm like Gosh, it's so loud, and I get home, it's like so quiet. Um, just the people and my family is like when they talk, it's like they it sounds like they're yelling, but they're not. But that's just the culture of being there. So it's always nice to visit, but when I come home, I'm like, ah, oh, this is what peace sounds like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you think I always hear that from my Italian friends too?
1: Oh yeah, really like, the same.
0: They're always like very um. What's the the phrase that my one buddy uses all the time? He's like, we're not loud, we're enthusiastic.
1: I love that. That's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. take that because it's so they're the same. Like Italians and Jewish people, I feel like they're equal, they're very similar. Yeah.
0: So when you uh, decided to get into um, you know, your track as far as career path. Now this is prior to female in finance, right? So mm-hmm. um you're born and raised in San Diego and then you kind of you you have to make this decision. Uh, You know, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old these days, and apparently you just have to have everything figured out and you have to pick a degree and you lock into that. And, you know, that's a really interesting phase of life. So so when you entered that phase and you were trying to figure out, okay, where do I kind of want to position myself in the world? You know, what are what was that situation like and where did you kind of end up? What track were you on?
1: Yeah. um, So I actually wanted to be a mathematician for NASA studying trajectories And I ended up getting an academic scholarship to a. Can we unpack
0: that for a split (laughs) second, like before you before you just brush over that and keep rolling? So, so mathematician for NASA, studying trajectories. Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, like I wanted to be able to figure out trajectories of like anything in space. So, like if a comet were to hit the like not a comet if a meteor were to come and hit the Earth, like. How long would it take and figure out the trajectories of it? So,
0: have you seen Don't Look Up?
1: Uh, on yes,
0: Netflix? I yeah. have. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, like, so simple, like, something in that that realm, yes. like, oh shit, there's a comet coming towards Earth. Totally. Sorry, I would have loved that.
1: Yeah. But. <laughs> um, yeah. I actually would have loved that. Um, but the school that I went to didn't have mathematics as a major. And I chose the school because I had an academic scholarship and I didn't want to have student loans. And so I ended up going to a school that was known more so for their business program. And so I figured, well, I guess I'll just join the business program. Like I can't really not have a bad career. Like I won't have a bad career if I choose business and I don't really know exactly what I would want to do. So I decided to jump into the business program and I got a double emphasis in marketing and finance. And um, after I graduated, I didn't know still what I wanted to do. So Hmm. I ended up working a job at AT AT&T and, uh, for anyone listening, it is a company that I highly recommend against working for. (laughs) It's a very hard Hmm. job. Um, but I ended up working there and then I ended up meeting my two bosses who I ended up working for in corporate finance. And then I worked for them for seven years.
0: Hmm. Okay. So corporate finance. So when, I mean, I feel like there's a whole lot that you could probably unpack inside of what corporate finance means. But so for mm-hmm. um, the layman, what what would you – if you had to explain your job to a fifth grader, what would you tell them?
1: Okay. So if I had to describe my job, I basically was talking to CEOs, controllers, people who handled the money of a business, and my job was to help figure out um, if I could help them with – any sort of business financing and if the financing made sense for them. So for example, let's say a dentist wanted to replace all of their dental chairs for their uh, company. I would then figure out, well, they would send me like a quote of the chairs that they would want to purchase for their customers to sit in and there would be a price on it. And then we would figure out the financing that they would pay for it. And we would figure out if the numbers made sense for them to go ahead and purchase those chairs for their company. Um, now, like buying something like chairs doesn't really increase your profits. So it's a little bit harder when that's a decision that a dentist is trying to make, but there might be something like um, a company that wants to get like a CNC machine and that might help them. Um, if they get a newer machine, it might help them produce three times the, the things that they need at a faster rate. It might also mm, make it where okay. they eliminate an employee. And so we had to figure out the numbers of like, does this financially make sense for the business or does it not make sense for the business? So that's kind of what I did is just help businesses figure out their financial decisions if they were trying to take out a working capital loan or if they were trying to finance equipment for their company.
0: Now, when it came to identifying like the scenarios, right? So um, I love doing that type of work for businesses. I love sitting down and saying like, okay, what are all the variables you have sitting on the table? You know, and that's what we call our identify consult uh, at Apex It's like, okay, let's sit down and let's identify what your actual opportunities are and what your risks are. I mm-hmm. hated the idea of like a basic SWOT analysis. It just makes me want to vomit every time <laughs> I hear SWOT because it's just, it's so, it's so templatized, right. And overused at this point. So it's like, okay, well, let's sit down and let's lay out all these variables. Um, And then are you responsible for coming up with those situations where it's like, okay, I see that you sent me this quote for a CNC router. Have you thought about the fact that this may replace an employee or 3x your output? Or did you find that the business owners were already thinking that way and you just had to fill in the numbers?
1: Both. So there were business owners who already thought that way and they were way ahead of me. And then there were business owners who had no idea. Um, So Mm. a lot of it was almost like a little bit of consulting in a way of like, have you thought about this or have you thought about that or um, basically just trying to help them understand the return on the investment that they're trying to make.
0: Right. So that brings me to a question, you know, because we have a lot of people that are, are business owners or aspiring business owners that listen to this show. And so what really set those business owners that were ahead of you apart? You know, if we wanted to emulate that type of business owner, what are things that you consistently notice while having conversations with them? That it's like, man, the people that are not on their game are definitely not having these conversations or thoughts. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, listener. Sorry to interrupt the vibes. I'll be out of your way in just a second. It's Jan, the head of community here at Indie Collective. Thanks for making it this far into our episode. Just a reminder that if you're connecting with this story, you can go to IndieCollective.co where you can learn about the program, hear members speak about their experiences, and apply for our next cohort. As a podcast listener, you will receive priority when applying for an interview as well as a limited time $500 friends and family discount. All right, I'll get back out of your way.
1: Can you rephrase the question?
0: So the, (laughs) yep, you're good. So the people that you did interact with, right, that are Mm -hmm. like the super ahead of you business owners, are there things that distinctly set them apart in the way that they seem to approach things compared to the business owners that were way behind?
1: Um, they just seemed to understand their finances better. So they just seemed to understand like the bigger picture., um, and mm. so they were able to see like, yeah, this wouldn't make sense. Like they understood that it wouldn't make sense when I provided them the numbers. They'd be like, yeah, this wouldn't make sense in the long run because it would take me x amount of time to pay back on this loan and the depreciation on this type of equipment. And so like they understood if I just like gave them the numbers, and then there were people who just like, don't look at their bank statements don't look at their numbers don't know how much they do in gross sales per year like they have mm. it seemed like they just mm. had someone else who maybe understood more of that in their company but as the business owner they weren't as aware and so mm. i think mm. it's important for business owners to be aware of their finances and not just have someone in control of their finances but also they need to like be communicating with each other and understand more Um, It's very interesting when you talk to a business owner and you say, what were your gross sales last year? And they're like, I don't know. It's like, how do you not know that number? And so if they didn't know that number, then that usually went in line with the rest of the conversations with them that I would have working with them, trying to explain to them why this investment that they're trying to make makes sense or doesn't make sense. Um, So yeah, probably just if you're an owner, it's good to understand your numbers, even if you have like a controller or someone who is, handling your money?
0: I'm trying to find this book. I don't see it on my shelf right now. So I may have given it to somebody to read, but um, just straight up, I was one of those people that did not know what those numbers were when we first started Mm -hmm. scaling. Right. And the whole, the reason was, I mean, I came from a nursing background and a clinical psychology background. So I was self-teaching myself all of this stuff at the beginning anyway. And then we went from a a team of zero to six in under Fourteen months, ish. Mm-hmm. So I, by necessity of just like brain space, I was like, "RJ, you're handling this. Merry Christmas. <laughs> We're gonna figure yeah. this out, right?" And it kind of piece it together. And what I found, what I what I ended up finding is I found this book um, not too long ago that was really, really solid, and it helped me out a lot. And it was um, it was called Accounting for Executives, um, or maybe it was it. account, or maybe it was Accounting for the Non Accountant. But okay. regardless. It was like, it was very high level principle and then small exercises to get you to understand the best way I can explain it is like, it helps you understand the gist. Yep. You know, it's like, this is the general idea of what should be coming out so that you, when you can look at a report and this is to all the other owners that are out there, it's like, you need to educate yourself to the ability, not that you're the technical executioner, you know, but you should be able to look at a report and know what it says. Yes. Yes. You should. And and that is a massive difference that I saw in my mindset shift, um, you know, post Indie Collective, because I went through Indie Collective, went through another massive growth spike, and I had to deal with all of those variables and shenanigans, um, you know, so like, shout out to the program. And then also, like, <laughs> you know, when you grow, the with great growth comes great responsibility. Yeah,
1: um, and you're delegating work at that point. So it's like, you're not as in it as you were doing it by yourself. And I'm starting to notice that now as I've started to delegate work ever since Indie Collective, like that was one thing I really leaned into after the cohort was like, I can't do more outside of my zone of genius. Like I actually need to delegate out, but I'm making sure that as I'm delegating out to them, that I'm understanding what they're doing and I'm asking questions so that I'm also in it and I'm not just like letting them do all the work behind the scenes, Um, And I find that that's important, not just in your finances as a business owner, but in other areas of your business, whether you're working with a project manager or a business coach or some sort of strategist, like understanding what they're doing helps you more in your business than just delegating and letting them do it blindly.
0: Right. Well, I mean, and there's, there's one point that I want to make and then I, I want to rewind and actually revisit that this zone of genius idea that you just kind of threw out on the table, because I think that's that's a really um, interesting nugget that we should unpack more. But um, uh, the point that I was going to make is that, you know, uh, if you don't know that I came from a military background, welcome to the party. Um, mm-hmm. I was in the Air Force for uh, six and a half years or so and, and was fascinated with military strategy throughout the time that I was, I was in the military. And one of the things that I found really interesting is when I was reading all of these war journals from like world war II and the Korean war in Vietnam, um, it was the generals that frequently made appearances on the front lines that successfully led the most troops, right? It's, It's not the general that refused to go visit the trench to understand what his lieutenants and his captains were going through and just kind of stayed, you know, multiple miles behind enemy lines. Or uh, away from the enemy line, but they would occasionally come onto the front lines and and touch base with their troops in that arena, and it's like that's that's the mentality that I think that that really speaks to um, that that this delicate balance, right? Because you can't get caught up in the weeds, but you have to know what types of weeds they're trying to cut down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you have to know what obstacles they're coming up with because, and I see this all the time with my data team. If I wasn't down there, I make it a point to go down and work with them at least twice a week because coding and dealing with analytic softwares and, and it's frustrating. It's mm-hmm. really, really annoying. You know, there's a whole bunch of different variables you have to deal with. And I understand that it's a very difficult job. I appreciate them for doing that job. Right. But if I didn't go down there and ever work with them, then when they called me to complain about how horrible this ad system is, and I don't even know what they're talking about. I'm just like, yeah, that sucks. Sorry. <laughs> you know, but now they call me and I'm going to be like, dang, bro, like I can't believe you had to deal with that, you know, and I can, and I can relate to that. And I think that that's super powerful when you're trying to delegate and you're attempting to lead is that um, when I first did it, I just completely dropped it and I didn't know anything about it. And then I got called out about it. Like I have a feeling you've called out a couple of business owners mm-hmm. by a mentor and he was like, why don't you know your numbers? And then mm-hmm. the pendulum's swung the other way and I micromanaged again. For a little bit. And now I've kind of found this sweet spot, which is like, okay, you own it. But, you know, I need a weekly report. And then quarterly, we're going to have a meeting, you know, and kind of have this nice structure kind of set up, which makes sense. Like that structure is in a whole bunch of different business books. But that applying it in person when you're trying to build from the ground up could be weird.
1: Totally. Yeah,
0: I would say. (laughs) So, so let's let's rewind a little bit and go back into this idea of you, of your zone of genius. You know, wh- what did what did you mean by that when you kind of threw that out on the table?
1: Yeah. So my zone of genius is teaching personal finance. That's like creating the infographics and writing the content and writing my blog and doing like writing emails out to people. Like that is my zone of genius. Is like actually teaching and educating on the fundamentals of finance. Uh, What's not in my zone of genius is setting up like email funnels or um, uploading videos and stuff to course platforms or doing webinars like all these things are not in my zone of genius and so I realized after doing indie collective that. I have to hire people who were like, where this is their jam. Like this is what they know how to do. This is what they Mm -hmm. wake up and, and live for. And it's not what I wake up and live for. Like I wake up and live for teaching people finance. I don't, I don't wake up and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to set up a bunch of email funnels today on this platform that I don't know how to use. And I'm going to try to figure out how to use it. And so basically what I did is I tried to figure out all the things that I really needed for my business what kind of people i would need for each one and how much it would cost me in time to learn how to do it myself versus if i just hired someone
0: hmm. and so it hmm. didn't
1: make sense when i looked at it from a time perspective of yes i would be learning how to do all these things and it would be great but at the end of the day i'm only one person with 24 hours in a day and i would by the time i finish what i actually do to for my business on a day-to-day basis i would be working so many more hours just trying to learn how to do these other things, let alone implement them. And so it just made sense for me to hire on people finally and um, give up a little bit of that control that I have and give it to someone else where like they know how to handle it. And the people that I've hired have been more than what I ever thought I was going to get. Like I thought I was going to hire people and they weren't going to do what I wanted to my level of expectation I hate using the word expectation but like to what I wanted to get out of them but then they provided more than what I wanted and so I'm really glad Mm -hmm. that I took that leap into hiring people because I hired some of the best people like I don't know anyone that I could have hired better and I feel like I got maybe lucky um, but I also just interviewed a lot of people for these positions that I needed
0: Right. Well, yeah, you took the time to really bring bring people on board, you know, and, and do it right, and find somebody that jives with you and and connects, and and, and doing that the right way. I'm I'm really intrigued too. Um, to kind of get into this get into this uh space that I think will be a, an interesting topic for you and I to discuss specifically is this idea of, you know, there is a, an appropriate time to delegate, and mm-hmm. the reasons that I consistently hear are you know, comparing the time to money. Um, You're the only only one person you need to outsource, you know, parts of your business that you're not a technical expert in. Uh, There's all of these different things that your administrative time, it all adds up. So get a VA. There's all of these different tips. uh, And VA, for those of you that are listening, if you're not familiar, is a uh, virtual assistant. Um, But one of the things that, that radically stands out to me as an obvious answer as to why you would want to outsource is because once you become an independent founder or the owner of a company, your health becomes a drastic part of the equation when it comes to your business. And if you're consistently tacking on, so let's, let's take a 24-hour period, right? Mm-hmm. And let's add in, um, let's say you, you work for your, you know, maybe 10 hours a day as an entrepreneur, sometimes 10 to 10 to 14, I would say is my av- was my average day when I first started out. Yeah, um, And so you're working 10 to 14 hours a day, right? So you've got maybe 10 hours left. Six to eight of those you want to try to sleep.
1: Oh, it's 10 if, for sleep for me.
0: <laughs> okay. So six to eight for me, I'm right? Kidding. You want to sleep. <laughs> um, so those things that you, so, you know, you have like maybe two or three, four hours to play with mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right? Now, if every single day for a month you spent those two, three, four hours on more work outside of the work that you're doing to keep your company alive, your spine is going to snap in half.
1: Yeah, you're gonna hit burnout.
0: Like you're gonna hit burnout like bad. You know, mm-hmm. and you're, you're mentally it's gonna just be like, I've done that before with writing and it literally feels like I'm just writing goo goo gaga baby talk mm-hmm. on a piece of paper at the end <laughs> of a week, because there's just, there's just nothing, there's no creative juice left in the tank. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, let's flip that example, and let's look at another 24-hour cycle, where you still spend 10 to 14 hours a day working, right, which is still longer than the average person, right? Like, you're already putting in time beyond the time that, that a person in the traditional workforce would be putting in. Yeah. And then you take those two to four hours to get dinner with a friend or to read a book or to go on a walk, you know, you got Kepler right behind you, you know, your puppy, you know, take him to the beach, do something. How much more sustainable would that be to maintain that 10 to 14 hours of work a day versus trying to tack in an additional two or three and then just breaking down and having to take, I've had to take a complete week off before because I've pushed myself too hard.
1: Yeah, actually, funny you say that, because I literally took a week off last week. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> so and was that fresh was in actually, your mind.
1: Yeah, that was actually more so because the person that I hired as a project manager gave me so much to do that I was working more than 10 to 14 hours. And I was like, okay, I got to I got to pause for a sec. And I actually hmm. had to take like a week and be like, I'm not going to get anything to you for one week. Like, I got to take a week off to do my own thing. Um but prior to just this last week of burnout, I haven't faced burnout since I quit my job, which was another thing that I did with Indie Collect- because of Indie Collective was here I am sitting in front of um, like 150 other students, un- entrepreneurs, independents. And as soon as I'm talking to all of them, I'm telling them like, oh, yeah, I wake up and I go to my job from 730 to 4 and then I work on my business 4 to midnight and then I go to sleep and I wake up and I do it again. And then on weekends, I work on my business. And so there wasn't a lot of me time. And I realized listening to other people in the cohort, them being like, how on earth are you still alive? And how on earth are you still doing That's that? That's what I was just going to say. I'm like,
0: <laughs> holy crap. I'm like, I work hard, but geez.
1: Yeah. So I definitely, um, my physical and mental health took a toll by doing that. And I did that for almost exactly one full year. Um, so I remember I started my business November of 2020, um, November 14th. And I actually quit my job November 18th of 2021. So in exactly a year, I did that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I did it religiously. Like I woke up and it was seven 30 and I worked till four. And then I went to bed at midnight and I woke up and did it again. And I was eliminating time with friends. I wasn't spending time with my family. I was doing things to really build my business. And like, yes, I've made something successful, but at the cost of my health. And so I did take a period of time as soon as I quit my job to like, go work on self care and go back to therapy and like, take care of me again, and then get back into the swing of things. And it was only last week where like I realized I hired a few people at the same time, who both needed a lot of information from me as well as a bunch of brand partnerships reaching out because their budgets were all ready for January. And they're like, I wanna work with you, I wanna work with you. So it was like a, just all at once. And I was like, I'm gonna take a week Mm -hmm. and take time off. And then I'm gonna get back into the groove of things, but making sure that I'm working a certain number of hours, but always making time for self care, my physical care and being with my friends and family. Like having that time is so important.
0: No, I've got an interesting concept that I think that we can kind of explore uh, in in this conversation. So I, I've been trying to work out, you know, because uh, I had a very similar experience in my first year, right, where it's like it was almost exactly a year to the date of like committing myself to either I'm going to be a full time entrepreneur by the end of 2020 or I'm not. Mm hmm. And like, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. I had the military, nursing, and entrepreneurship pulling me in three different directions. I was like, all three of these are very viable, you know, successful career paths that I could, that I could take. But I just set my sights on entrepreneurship. I'm like, I just need to prove it to myself. Either one way or the other, I'm going to just... Do it, or I'm going to go be a nurse. And I would be a nurse and that's this flying on helicopters right now. Like, I would not be upset. It's so it's, it wasn't what I'm trying to get across is that it's not the choice between a negative reality and a positive one. It was the choice between two positives. And I feel like almost that first year was just like the sacrificial lamb. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like I, I wish I could say that hindsight in 2020, I would have tried to implement all of the habits I have now earlier, but I don't wish that. Like, I'm really glad that I was able to go through all of that organically and have to figure it out, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I almost picture it like um, me and my dad were talking about it. He was like, you do realize you're talking about raising children, right? I was like, what are you? what do you mean? He was like, if you look at your business as your kid and he was like, your kid is going to want to do some really dumb stuff Mm -hmm. and you're going to tell them that it's stupid and they're going to go do it. And then they're going to learn that it's stupid. And they're going to be like, Oh, that was stupid. And you're like, yeah, I know. (laughs) And he was like, as much as you would like to say hindsight's 2020, he was like, sometimes he was like experiential truth is the only teacher you know and then i i kind of thought about it i'm like huh you know what that kind of makes sense so i'm curious you know if you could do you think that you would have been capable of implementing all of these habits like right off of the beginning or that you had to go through this kind of like hyper dedicated phase in order to get everything off the ground and you know it sh- you, you just kind of like take that year as like okay you know i can just dedicate this and you know now one year of my life has passed i've put that into the bank but look at all of this extra opportunity that's produced i'm just curious about you know your thoughts on on all of those those things kind of pieced together
1: so are you asking like if i would have started my business without having my other job like what how it would have been different
0: well like your so your habits right at the beginning of uh or now right you're re-exploring self-care and everything like that but from the way that you explain that that year-long progression it's almost like you're like I had to sacrifice all these relationships, but look what it produced.
1: Yeah. So you I would, know
0: here's where we're at on this end.
1: Yeah. So I would say that I wouldn't change anything. Um, like looking back at how I did everything, I wouldn't change what I did because it taught me a lot. And I feel like if I would have, there were like a lot of people that I met in Indie Collective who lost their jobs in, during COVID. So like our, our cohort just happened to be like right after people had been kind of losing their jobs that year, um, and the right. year before, and so they had to start their business from almost like a place of fear, like a and maybe a scarcity place, like oh well, what am I going to do now? But I have this skill set, so maybe I'm going to start building something out of it. Hmm. Whereas I built mine from I'm start I'm comfortable in the company that I'm working with, and I have the income to do everything that I want but I still just want to teach personal finance anyways for fun like that's just something I want to do and I think I actually created it not knowing it would become into a business so I created it from a different place um, than I did Mm. if I didn't lose my job the way other people had and started it so I wouldn't change that I feel like if I would have come from a place of like scarcity or fear or loss that I actually may not have been as successful as I was Mm. or as I am.
0: Yeah. That's, so that's pretty much exactly where I was. I, I was thinking that, uh, you were going to kind of land. It's like, cause the longer that I think about the way that you described that journey, right. Is, is this is something that, um, I actually think that Katie Gotti just said this on her podcast too. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys haven't listened to that episode, uh, it is uh, money with Katie. Uh, I think it'll be two or three episodes back probably by the time that this one uh, gets released, but I would go back and listen to that wholeheartedly. It's another great episode when it comes to um, finances and, and another person's amazing journey. But, but she talks about um, being singularly obsessed with providing value to something that you're interested in. And, and, I'm just curious about like what that statement does for you. Like when you think about that.
1: I a hundred percent agree. I feel like I started my business, not as a business. I just wanted to provide people with free education and value um, and help change their lives from a financial standpoint. Cause I find I've always been interested in physical health and mental health, but then there's financial health. Like that is the third part to like overall wellness, in my opinion. And Um, providing that value is so important, especially before monetization. And so I didn't even build what I built thinking I was going to monetize it at all. I came from a place of, I'm going to provide as much free value as I can and see what comes of it. And it ended up becoming something that I had potential to monetize in. Um, And then I started monetizing, but I didn't come from a place of building something to monetize first. And that's where I felt like when I met a lot of people who had lost their jobs and started their own business, like that's survive. Like they're looking for money income to come in for survival at that point. They don't have another source of income. Um, so I came out mm-hmm. of place from like, I have income, um, from my job, from my nine to five job, and I'm able to just provide free value and come from a place of like, I just want to teach you and whatever comes right. of it can come of it. So yeah, I find providing value and then monetizing later is, that was like really important for me. I don't think that I would have the same business that I have now if I would have thought I'm just going to go into it for the money.
0: Just kind of a weird thing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I've always, I always get stuck in this paradox, right? Where it's like, okay, you can't make money the root of your intention because then you'll you'll lose it right? It's like this whole religious concept of like, if you want to save your life, then you'll lose it. If you lose your life, then you'll save it type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so to your point, right, you can't start by having this mentality of monetization. And I firmly agree with that too, because when I started the podcast, there was no, I was going to be a nurse in the military. Like there was no thought (laughs) that it was going to turn into any of this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's a weird thing to find, right? Like, it's, it's a weird thing to find something that you're so passionate about that you're like, I'm going to scream this off the top of a cliff and whoever happens to be listening is going to listen. And I'm okay with that for a year of working countless hours and sacrificing time with family and friends. Like talk about being singularly obsessed with providing value to your audience. It's just like, this topic is so damn interesting to me. And I think that people need it. that I want to talk about it. It's like, like, all the time. Did that is, did it just start as like a, did you like drive by a billboard and it pissed you off and you were like, I need to talk about investing or like how, what, what was, was there a trigger point that you can think of that you were like, I need to do this?
1: I think it was honestly just the pandemic. Like I felt like I was hearing people scream from the rooftops. Like I'm losing my job. I'm losing my job. I don't have money to, to pay for this. I saw friends GoFundMe accounts going up for helping just to pay for family expenses because someone lost their job. And I was like, gosh, like people don't even know the basics of personal finance, which is like have an emergency fund. Um, Mm. And I learned about having an emergency fund when I was 16 years old from my mom who told me when I got my first job, just set aside $50 out of every paycheck and put it into a savings account. And I did that from 16 until 26. And then 26, I had a freak accident where I lost all feeling in my legs from throwing a tennis ball for my dog. And then realizing that I had to pay a lot of money to be able to walk again. And then I went through a series of a few years of chronic illnesses. So I felt like I got double whammied, but Mm. I had the money to pay for it all. So I could focus on my physical health and my mental health during that time and not worry about Mm. my financial well-being. And I was like, man, everyone is going through this collectively, not even just in San Diego or in California or in the United States. Like it was worldwide. And I was like, there's one thing that we all need worldwide is like to have an understanding of the fundamentals of personal finance. And I happen to have tools under my belt where I can teach that. So like, why not teach something that, I know that a lot of people don't know. And right. I remembered when I was chronically ill and I was living in Oregon for a few years that I told myself that if I ever got out of it alive, like if I ever healed completely from the illnesses that I had um, and the injuries that I had, that I would want to help people in the masses. And I had no idea what that looks like looked like at the time. But I knew that I would do something for a lot of people. And I didn't worry about the how, I just worried about what I wanted to do. And I was like, someday I will help a lot of people and I will figure out what that's going to be. And it just Uh kind of clicked for me one day, like reading a bunch of people struggling with their finances. I was like, this is it. Maybe I could like build a curriculum for people to start learning in high school or middle school about basics of personal finance. Or maybe I can build courses that can help teach people how to invest so that they can Um, have income when they're in retirement and then maybe they can teach their kids and they can build generational wealth and so I just went through this like rabbit hole of thoughts and I was like well where would I get started maybe I could just start an Instagram page and so that's kind of what I did and then I was like okay well great now I have to figure out how to make infographics and a website and like all these things that I had to learn year one but that's what I did.
0: And then just for people that are listening right now that are curious about where that Instagram page is now.
1: (laughs) Um, You can find me at female.in.finance on Instagram.
0: And how many followers do you have?
1: I have, I think, 127,000 followers now, which is crazy. (laughs) I know, it's interesting. when I I remembered actually Googling, like, what does 100,000 people look like? And it's like two stadiums of, people which is insane to me to think that there's that many eyes on you and that means you're bigger
0: than a Kenny Chesney concert
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) for real yeah it's a little um it's like how many I wonder how many
0: people attend Coachella
1: that's a good question I actually have no idea
0: I'm googling it right now I'm pulling a Joe Rogan (laughs) It's like 250,000. So you got a little ways to go. But yeah, I'm halfway there. Big, uh, yeah, like you're like halfway to Coachella with yeah. Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. That's awesome.
0: I, I, I use that example a lot with pretty much everybody. You know, I, I only have like 3,000 followers on my Instagram. But my, I, I always try to shoot for like, you know, I'm more on the B2B side. I'm less influencer, less um, educator in that realm, so much to the masses and more kind of like I have my niche little group of people that I really kind of coordinate with. And so like my 3000 though, you still, you get 3000 people at a singular location. Like, I think we almost um, have gotten to this point where we're like, if we don't see, you know, that K next mm-hmm. to a number that we think that they're inadequate for some reason. And I'm like, guys, the most success that I've had in some advertising campaigns have been with micro influencers under 10,000 followers totally because their people genuinely know them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and that's what's been hard. So one of the questions that I that I wanted to ask about the Instagram page specifically is like as it started to gain a bunch of momentum, what was that like for you? You know, when you first started seeing like all of these followers kind of pouring in? Was there a was there a period of time where it just like massively spiked for some reason? You were like WTF?
1: um there were a lot of like holy shit moments sorry sam (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna
0: listen to this he be like oh my
1: god God." i know um yeah there were a lot of those holy s moments for me where um it would just i would post something and then people would start sharing it and it would go semi-viral like i've never had anything actually go like super viral um i know a lot of people who have like made one video or one post and they've gotten millions of views on it i've never actually had that happen mine's all been pretty steady but it's like almost every time that i post that so many people are sharing the content like resharing it and that's how i'm gaining traction is i'm posting stuff that's shareable and i remember when i Mm. when i started making a post that i would i would want it to be one of three things it would have to either be educational inspiring or empowering and it had to be one of those three things. And if I created something and then I looked at it at the end and I was like, this doesn't educate them on anything. This doesn't inspire them. Just This isn't super empowering. Then I would scratch it and move on. And so every mm. piece of content on my page, every single post, I've asked that question. And mm. so I think mm. because I've made sure that I'm not just posting to post, like I'm really posting from a place of like, it's got to do something for you. It's got to make you feel a certain way that that's what makes people gravitate towards it. Like anything that makes you feel something um, or really learn something where you're like, Oh my gosh. And you get this aha moment. That's what makes for good content. And so I've just been really mindful of that when I'm creating something, I think that's what has constantly made my page consistently grow. So I've never really had like huge bursts of followers Um, I think I actually try I I have a tracker that tracks how many followers I gain every single day. And I've, I've only had a couple of posts where I've gained like 1000 extra followers in a day. Um, But besides that, like it's very consistent, like between like 250 to 300 ish new people per day, on average, um, which is bonkers. Yeah, which is a lot. And that's not, that's an, that's in actually net followers. So like I might have more followers, but I lose about 100 a day too. So mm. um, like you do gain, mm. but you do lose. But for me, it's just been a very consistent thing. So I've never really had like, it's only been like the holy S moments where I've hit like the milestones, like 25,000, 50,000, 75,000, 100,000. Like those are what made me go, holy crap, that's a lot of people.
0: <laughs> right, right. Hmm. I'm like, you know, this educate, inspire, empower,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Um, I, I am, you know, a huge advocate for, for storytelling methodology, you know, and figuring out how to actually convey things in a human way. I just posted something not too long ago on LinkedIn, where it was a comparison of, uh, um, when I was a nurse, cause people will always ask me like, well, you know, how did you translate skills from nursing into marketing. And um, I was thinking about it the other day and it was like, wow, well we have to give what's called report every shift change, you know, to the oncoming nursing staff. And the entire goal is in like two to five minutes, you have to convey all of these crazy, I worked in the ICU, right? So all of these things that are wrong with these massively critically ill people um, and do that across three patients in like 10 minutes tops, right? Cause that nurse wants to get their day started. And so you have to be really, really specific about the details that you pick, about the the dynamic in which you convey it. And I always, like, I made a point in this post to say, like, you have to include human elements to it. And the example that I used is there is this student that I had that, you know, would constantly just give data, 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 data. And there was this one patient, and I stopped him in the middle of the report and kind of told him this. And this is what I put in the post is... He uh, gave all of this data, but he had neglected to tell the onboarding nurse that we had allowed the patient to sleep in past her normal wake-up time because her daughter was coming in the afternoon, and she wanted to have the energy to be able to see her in the afternoon, right? And so to many people, that's not critical
1: Mm -hmm.
0: to her survival, right, in the hospital, but it is crucial for her experience while staying in the hospital, You know, and that's what I think really is really coming across to me, at least what I was able to link it to from my personal experience, you know, is if it's not coming from a place of intention, if you're not intentionally conveying something with a purpose, then it can kind of just fall on deaf ears or you might miss something. You know, and that's what I think that like that, that, that framework that you just laid out there is, is really bringing intentionality to creativity, you know, I'm going to be intentional about the things that I create. And yeah. and I mean, you've achieved, you know, massive success on Instagram so far with that methodology. So I appreciate you sharing that with us.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, there's a lot of heart and soul that goes into creating everything that I put out. And again, my goal is just to educate, inspire, or empower. And I got to just trash the content that isn't providing one of those three things. And if it can provide two of those three things, then great. And if it can provide three of those three, then I've nailed it and I'll try to to duplicate that. But um, I usually try to at least just hit one of those at least.
0: That's a really good piece of advice, I think, for people too. Because I think that a lot of times, and I personally experience this a lot, right? Um, for example, uh, the, the, the podcast, I've been working on rebranding the podcast for like two and a half months now, right? And uh, things keep getting pushed back because there's other business stuff going on. And Unfortunately, the podcast is not like a 100% necessary arm of the business. It's a passion project. So, um, you know, but one of the things that I've realized about rebranding the podcast is that the reason why I was having so much trouble with it is because I was attempting to make it everything for everybody. Right. Or I was attempting to make it all three. I, I wanted it to be educational, empowering and inspirational all at the same time. And what you're saying is that, you know, if you hit three out of three, that's awesome but you really only need one out of three in order to get a piece of good content. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: That's exactly correct. Yeah. I think if you try to hit all three all the time, you'll, you'll burn out. I think it would be really hard. I think there are people that are capable of doing it. Like there's people I follow online where I'm like, wow, that was empowering and inspiring and educational all in one. And they're able to do it on a consistent basis. And I think that maybe comes with time, but I think as long as you can hit one, that that's the most important.
0: Right. Now, I know um, one of the things that I really kind of learned in Indie Collective that I've kind of started really applying on a regular basis for me is um, understanding pacing um, when you're doing creative stuff. Um, and now, so when I, before I entered Indie Collective and, and was able to kind of form this network of other experienced writers, um, I would try to sit down and I would do content from start to finish in the same day be like, I'm going to, this is the blog post idea that I have. I'm writing this whole blog post a day, And then I would try to put it out. Um, and I would constantly run into days where I was just like headbutting a nail and couldn't do anything where it's like, okay, well, I feel like I'm like, whether I had a bad night's sleep or there's other things on my mind, it's just like a bad creative day. Right now post Indie Collective Mondays, I come up with questions. Wednesdays, I come up with paragraphs. Saturdays, I write posts. Um, have you found a rhythm well I guess first question would be what was your what was your content production stuff like when you first started and then I guess how have you evolved or gotten better at that process over time
1: great question so when I very when I first started it was a matter of just trying to create one post per day so every day I would create a post that would go live the next day Um, and then I realized that it was first of all, taking me a lot more time. Like in the beginning, it takes a lot of time to come up with the concepts and like what you want to teach. And I was trying to figure out how to make design on Canva. And then I was Mm. trying to figure out the best time of day to post where most people would see it. And then I was trying to understand how to use hashtags. So there was a lot of like figuring out in the beginning. And I felt like that was a all day thing in the very, at the very start. And then it came Mm. down to where, what if I could batch make my posts? And so then I would choose Saturday, a weekend where I would normally spend time with friends and I would literally create infographics from eight in the morning till midnight. Like it was nonstop and it was too much. Like I was exhausted and I don't feel like I was, I knew I was creating great content, but I knew I could have created greater content if I would have just maybe split it up into different days. And I I think I did that for like an entire year. So I did that where like I would batch posts on Saturdays. I didn't have my blog up yet. So that's like the only thing that I had going up was my posts. And then I was creating a webinar um, to teach people, like a a four-week webinar to teach people the basics of finance. And Mm. so I was just kind of working every single day. And I actually found that batching it into certain days, that that worked better for me. So I don't know if you've ever heard the concept of like, masculine days and feminine days. but I have not, but I am
0: always interested to learn new
1: things. (laughs) Uh, So feminine days are like days where you're essentially taking more care of yourself. So I found that rather than working a little bit each day, which is like more masculine energy, like putting in the the work and the grind and the hustle, um, that doing a little bit of that hustle each day was actually harder for me than batching it into certain days. So I now post only Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays and Sundays, but I create those posts all in one day the best that I can. And then there's Mm. another day that I work on like brand partnerships. And then there's another day that I work on the blog and then it usually fades into this another day. So the blog usually takes me two days to, to do. And so I've just found like a rhythm of certain days where I have the masculine energy of doing the work. And then I have feminine days where it's like, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to go get coffee, I'm going to go see if a friend wants to go for a beach walk, I might go surf for a little, I'll go read a book. So like, there's no work on those days. And that's mm. not a weekend for me. Those are just like, actual days that I am knowing that I'm setting aside that entire day to just do whatever I want. Um, right. and So I try to make it those like four days are the days that I'm really working. And then those three other days are my feminine care days, essentially.
0: Right now. And now I just had an, a thought that hit me. I'm going to see if it lands. Um, So this is like, this is raw and live ladies and gentlemen. Um, (laughs) So I've heard this quote a couple of times and I think that it might apply to, to the thing that you just compared about masculine, feminine energy. Um, And it's, you have to take equal parts time working in your business and on your business. And I feel like the masculine energy that you just described would be working in your business. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult to realize at first as an independent, but if there's one thing that I've learned from people like Dr. Donna Marino or Shannon Salentine or Catherine Zach or Mm -hmm. any of these other, um, you know, coaches or psychologically based people, meditation based, um, experts that that we've I've gotten the privilege of being able to interview or interact with thus far it's is that you are your business when you are independent or you're mm-hmm. an owner and that days like what you're describing as the feminine energy days that's working on your business you're working yeah. on it you're working on yourself you're taking care of yourself right because if you go down so does your business. your business. Yep. You know, absolutely. your business will go down. And and you're and, and you have to make sure that so that and and that was a really difficult thing for me to grab onto when I first started because I was one hundred percent military-minded masculine energy, right? It was just like I'm going to run through this brick wall and then come out the other side screaming with an M4. Like that's what this is <laughs> gonna look like. And and I would just do that relentlessly. I did that for a year and a half, almost two years, you know, working nursing. I was in the military and trying to build a business at the same time. So I'm pulling 12 hour clinical shifts, getting off of work at 7 a.m., going to a meeting to record with the podcast guest, going to do some stuff, taking a four hour nap and going back to work another 12. Wow. Um, and and that was not sustainable. Right. But it's because I had this mental block of like, oh, working on myself doesn't count. It does if you're listening right now and you're in that place that I was like a year and a half, two years ago, work on your business. And when I say that, I mean, take a break.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love the way that you said that. And I completely agree. The more that I've actually given myself those feminine days, uh, the more successful my business has been. So there's a correlation there, I think, to taking care of you that you are taking care of your business inherently.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other the other benefit is, and this is coming from my, you know, more of my experience on the trauma psych side, is in order to truly be able to understand what's going on in our subconscious, right? We have to be able to disconnect and allow it to almost bubble up, right? And And you can't, back to the quote that we're comparing it to right now, you can't work in and on your business at the same time. It's it's two different frequencies, wavelengths, brain styles, like whatever you want to call it. It's two different states of mind and or being that you have to be in, in order to do one or the other. So if you want to work in your business, so there are days where you could wake up and you're like, I'm just going to do all of the my taxes today. I'm going to do Excel today. I'm going to email people. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to do this. And as much as you would like to think that taking a two or three hour break that day is enough for you to like disconnect, it's beneficial, you know, Mm -hmm. but in those two to three hours, unless you're really, really skilled at clearing your mind space and like I've gotten better at it with meditating, I can get to a clean headspace quicker now than I used to be able to, those two to three hours are going to be spent thinking about the things that you should be doing instead of taking those two to three hours to yourself. Now, if you contrast that with the day where you wake up with the intention of having a day to take care of yourself, all of those background noise thoughts aren't there. Exactly. You actually get the chance to put together patterns or puzzle pieces. At least this is what I notice on those creative days, because I do try to kind of emulate what you're talking about at least one day a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's Fridays. I have a team meeting in the morning. I record nothing but podcasts. I go to the gym. I go to take a nap with my parents' dogs out on the farm. And most of the times I go into the weekends with all of these creative ideas for the following week. Whereas before that, when I was just grinding myself into the ground until six o'clock on Friday, Mm -hmm. I had enough energy to like eat some pizza and go to sleep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's just been separating the days completely. And for some people, it's like what you said, like they can take two to three hours and clear their mind and then get back into the groove of it for me that I find that to be more of a challenge. Like I find if I work till maybe 2 PM and then I try to go and do something like maybe go surf or something for an hour and a half that it's harder for me to come back into work. And that also while I'm out doing that one thing that is supposed to be my self care, I'm thinking about work. And so Mm. for me, it's been dedicating the days rather than dedicating a portion of the day to masculine and feminine. So that might be different for other people. Like there are people who are going to be great at just taking the two to three hour breaks and then being able to completely clear and then come back into work and put back in the masculine energy. And then there's going to be people who are more like me who are like, no, it needs to be like a day thing. And I think the other thing for me too, is like, I don't plan the days that are feminine. I wake up and I'm like, this is just going to be one of those days where Mm. it's going to be a feminine day. And so it's intuitive for me. Um, When you work for yourself, at least for where I'm at in my business, like there really is no deadline, like the deadlines are what I set them to be. And so for me, if I wake up and I'm going to push back a deadline that I originally set because I woke up that morning being like, nope, today's going to be a feminine care day, then Mm. it's going to be a feminine day for me. and I'm going to listen to that intuitive voice in my head telling me, take the day to yourself. And on a day that there's other days that I wake up and I I can, it's just grind time, I can wake up and I can just power through a lot of work. And so for anyone who's listening, you just might be someone who can do it in a couple hours per day, take time off, or you actually need the whole day off. There's no right or wrong.
0: Yeah. And I think the important thing about that, to wrap up, you know, this, this section of the conversation is just be aware. I think that's what it all kind of boils down to is that we're not trying to give you a cut all template that will work for anybody. I've never been a proponent of that. I hate, mm-hmm. you know, 90% of these internet gurus that try to sell you their system. That's hundred percent guaranteed to work. Um, <laughs> especially when it comes to personal like motivation and stuff, you know what I mean? Like something like finance. Okay. That makes okay. a lot of sense. Like I, I suck at numbers. <laughs> no, like I suck at numbers. You're probably good at numbers. Like I would probably, I would pay for your template. Um, but you know, if you're personal it's a it's a fine line for me just because of how involved I am in the site community. It's like there's a fine line between trying to be a self-motivational person and provide someone a framework and doing therapy online and if they're offering you a one size fits all template, they're wrong that's all I'm that's all I'm saying to make sure that we get that out at the end of this is that to your point, Leandra, it's like there's gonna be different ways that people are gonna be able to uh, to set this up to yeah. find success for themselves absolutely. Um, well, cool. This has been, this has been a wild ride. I can't believe it's already been an hour.
1: I know. I just looked at the time and I was like, how has it already been an hour? <laughs>
0: <So I thought laughs> and you, you were like, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous to come on the show. It was be okay. And you're like, I yeah, know. no, at time you'll, you'll blink. And then you'll be like, oh my God, it's over.
1: I know. Well, I feel like with most podcasts that I've done, the questions have all been very the same. Like what's your story? Um, what happened to you when you got sick?" and um, how did you start your business? And, and But it doesn't get into any other mm-hmm. interesting topics, but you're a great host, co-host, and you ask like more interesting questions and you interact back. So it doesn't feel like I'm being just constantly interviewed. Grilled. <laughs> yeah, grilled. Yeah,
0: you're just sitting there like, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: I can answer another question.
1: Well, yeah, usually I'll get like a list of like 20 questions, whereas with you, we're like, we're just going to wing it.
0: <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, that's just my style. I like that kind of thing. I think it's probably mostly because I'm massively ADHD. And if I knew what all the answers were before the show, I would just be like,
1: Yeah, be off I think in that was space the same somewhere. For me. Like you sent me yeah. a general idea, and then my ADHD was like, mm, Nah, not today. <laughs> 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 I think I literally messaged you being like, yeah, well, yeah, so I'm probably not going to get through those. So we'll just <laughs> talk tomorrow. We'll just
0: full send it. So, for everybody that's listening, this episode was 100% winged, no script, zero communication beforehand. So, <laughs> let us know what you think of this uh, episode, how I did driving the, uh, the car of the conversation. But, Leandra, so we talked about all of your stuff. You know, I know that there's probably a whole bunch of people listening to this right now that are hyped to try to get their finances straight and get involved with what you've got going on. So um, if we just lay out, you know, I think we talked about your Instagram a little bit earlier in the episode, but where are the places that people can uh, can come to find you in the digital world?
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at female.in.finance, or you can find me on my website, which is femaleandfinance.com, And that's where you can find my blog and anything that is upcoming.
0: Rock on. Cool guys, and if you want to subscribe to the Modern Independent, go ahead and hit the little button, whether it's in Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Overcast or any of the other podcast platforms that you could potentially be listening on, because I'm watching, and I'll know <laughs> if you push that button because I have metrics and I'm paying. I pay attention, so um, please do that. If you uh, know somebody, we don't really run advertisements on this show. You know, we haven't uh, done that up too far, and as far as I know, me and Sam are on the same page. We're not going to be playing advertisements on this show for for a little while into the future. Um, But if you know somebody that would benefit from the show, it's not really asking a whole lot to take two seconds to send them a link. So if you know somebody that has been asking questions about their personal finances or would really, really benefit um, from having a little bit of extra help, um, both Leandra and Katie, the two people that we just recently had on the shows, um, would be phenomenal resources. um, And feel free to reach out. And you'll find all of Leandra's information here in the description of the podcast. So um, until next time, I look forward to hanging out with you again on uh, The Modern Independence.